The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is my podcast all about women in media. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word media, I think about how someone is being captured in what they say and how they behave and how they appear. We have to remember that we consume media through a lens. And while interpretation is left up to the individual, we should always be aware of the lens in which we are viewing the subject through. And I suddenly just realized like there's this whole archive of things that people don't see and the work you make as a music photographer, it might not be important for 20, 30, 40 years. People might not see it. And that's the thing is this is, you know, before people are big, those photos don't seem important then, but you never know who's writing the next great song. You never know who's writing their last song. And photos are sometimes the last thing we have, specifically those moments behind the scenes. My guest today is Lindsay Duncan, who is a photographer in Toronto and is also the woman behind my new headshots. If you've seen any of those on Facebook or the podcast pages. That was the best day shooting with you. That was uh, more, more fun than I should be allowed to have at work. What an interesting job that you have, because, you know, when we're talking about women in media, you in this case, are framing the media. You have a responsibility to kind of create the lens at which people are looking at others through, which I find so interesting. Let's first go through a little bit of, you know, your photography resume. You've shot, you know, with bands and artists and musicians. um, But I also want to talk about your recent run around the country with Jagmeet Singh um, preparing for the big election. Um, The NDP is someone I've worked with at least for the last couple of years more um, consistently than I have other places. Uh, another couple consistent clients I work with, I work with Wildcraft Skincare. I do all of their visuals. They're an incredible uh, female BIPOC owned Toronto based organic skincare company. I do a lot of product work with them. Um, other than that, I always see when people say, why do you take photos? I'm like, if you're a cool person doing something, I'm usually pretty down for it. I don't really restrict myself to the subject matter so much as I do people working on good stuff. Well, I guess we'll go back to how you and I met, too. Um, I, I've definitely seen you at many shows, Snap and Photos, uh, concerts in and around Toronto. But um, you took some photos of myself and Matt Mays at a studio session that we did for SiriusXM a couple years back. And that's where you and I actually like first talked a bit. And then the next time we saw each other at a show, it was like, oh, my God, what's up? How did you first hook up uh, with you know Matt Mays? Like, when did artist photography start for you? Um, when I was in university, I have two very unused science degrees, uh, and towards the end of those science degrees, I was like, I'm not going to use these. This, uh, it's a good experience, but I've been into photography for a long time. I always said, I'm jealous of those people who have these great origin stories. Like when I was seven, I saw back to the future for the first time and I knew I wanted to make films or the first time I read Shakespeare, I wanted to be an actor. And I never really had that, um, I think part of it was I'm originally from Nova Scotia, a pretty rural area and pre super internet and and social media, there wasn't, I didn't have a lot of exposure to arts as a career. So my parents were really into the arts. Um, They always had us in extracurriculars, but it was never framed as a career. I didn't know you could be an artistic director or a graphic designer or a set designer or photographer. So I realized now that I was always really into photos. I always carried film with me. I took tons of photos, but I never pursued it as something um, I really wanted to do. Matt is also from the East Coast. So you met him on the East Coast or in Toronto? No, okay, so that's right. We'll stick to Matt. We'll get away from the origin story. I'll go back to that. Okay, because that's proceeds. Um, so I've been working with artists for a couple of years and I'd always wanted to photograph Matt. He has a really great live show. And despite the fact that we're both from the East Coast, I had not worked with him there. 
I think this is fine for me to tell you. I realized, I realized I had met Matt on the East Coast because he hit me with his car while we were all camping at different spots. It was very gentle. <laughs> it was very late at night. I was like, dude, you almost hit me with your car. I'm sorry. And then we had a beer and all sat around the fire. I had no idea it was him. I think it was fall. Everyone had hats on. I only put two and two together many years later. Hilarious. Um, so I'd wanted to work with Matt for a while. And I'd kind of approached, uh, you know, his team was like, hey, I, I really wanted to shoot these shows. And I go, oh, we'll see. And I wouldn't really hear back. And then they'd be, you know, playing where I was. I think I really want to shoot this show. Like, I'll, I'll do it for free. I just, I, you know, really want to. And oh, we'll see, we'll see. And then they were doing a really out of the way show. And I was in town and they reached out there. Can you come shoot the show? Yes, 100%. And I, I drove down and I slept in my car and I, I shot the show and, and that was it. And then a couple months later, same thing. Hey, we have this show. Can you shoot this show? And I came and I shot the show. And then I'd ask, well, like, do you think I could come backstage? I won't take any photos. We'll just see how it goes. And that took a little more while. And it's interesting what you said about the idea of framing how artists work, because I see my position as a very big one of trust. There's a lot of trust with artists and, and just with private people with letting photographers into their space. And I think that's more of a, a practical decision they have to make now um, because of social media, because a photo can end up going viral very quickly. So the first thing I tell people is like your face, your decision. So any photos I take, no matter where, nothing is posted or used without your permission um, because I'm being let into very intimate spaces. So with Matt Mays, it was a, a very slow growth. Well, first I was allowed backstage, but I didn't bring my camera. Then a couple of times later, I'd bring my camera, take photos, show them to him. And that was it. And then flash forward about a year and a half later, and I'm I'm coming into Kingston to shoot a show with them in the Arkells. And uh, I go up and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm here with the band. And someone's like, well, let me check. Let me check. They're all changing. And I hear from the back room, we're in our underwear. It's fine. She's seen everything. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, uh, I work really closely with Matt and I, I really enjoy working with him. But it was a, a very slow build of, of trust of, of how we work together and getting into those intimate spaces with them. And, and now it's pretty much just good old friends. And I think that's becoming more common because previously, if you were to see a, a photo of a show, it had to be a pro photographer who had access, who had a camera. And now iPhones are getting better and better and stage shots, like there's so many beautiful stage shots people will take with their iPhones. And I think a lot of the allure of music photography is the unknown and the specialty parts and the things we don't see. So in the 60s and 70s, the stuff you didn't see was stage shots. But now that that's so ubiquitous, the stuff that people don't see is behind the scenes. It's in the tour vans. It's, you know, sleeping on the way from shows. It's unloading gear. And I think that's always been my draw of working with musicians and artists. There's an intimacy to it. It's them getting to choose what they share with their fans. And that's what fans want to see. And I believe very strongly in showing how art gets made and how music gets made. Because now you click on a song and you download it and it's on your phone and we don't hold these albums and these liner notes. And I think it's easy to forget how much work goes into touring and into making albums and into making music. And I'm really passionate about allowing artists to share parts of that that they feel comfortable with so people can reconnect to the people who are making the music they love. Was there a photographer concert or otherwise that uh, inspired you to want to find this work? Oh, this is a good one. There's a lot. I get, I wish there was, you know, an artist or a photographer. So I was like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. But it was sort of a very slow build. So I started taking photos in university. I was going to school in Kingston, Ontario, which has this amazing ability that is halfway between Toronto and Ottawa. So a lot of artists start there and we get really big names playing in really small venues. And I approached the student newspaper 
was like, Hey, I really want to shoot with you. I really want to shoot with you. And, and they have a list of, you know, 50 people that want to shoot with them. Side story. You don't have to use this if you want. The reason I ended up being able to shoot for the school paper was because I was a woman. The first thing that they needed covered was a women's March. And I was the only female on the list. Huh. And so that was my foot in the door that, well, you do this. And they liked my work. And then they asked what I want to shoot. And I said, I want to shoot the arts. So they started sending me out to shows in, in Kingston. And one of the first shows, I'm a folk head. I love folk music. I grew up with it. So the first show I remember taking photos at where I was really proud of the photos was Peter Elkus. And he was playing at the Grad Club in Kingston. I'm a huge Peter Elkus fan. He's amazing. And there was someone there from CBC who saw me taking photos. I'm like, hey, I, I saw you're taking photos. Uh, would you be able to come take photos for the Wolf Island Music Festival in a couple of weeks? I like, guess 100%. And that was, you know, winter sleep and land of talk and, you know, part of broken social scene and some really amazing artists. And it's, I think that just cemented how much I love Canadian music specifically. Um, in terms of people that kind of framed my love of photography, I originally wanted to be a, a combat photographer, um, a war photographer, like, wow. like a lot of people who pick up uh, a camera. I loved Robert Kappa and I loved um, that sort of work that brought stories that people weren't seeing into the public eye. And that was the first job I had. I had a grant uh, to go work on a documentary in Kosovo after the war. That was the first time I picked up a camera, wow. uh, which is a whole other segue thing. Um, actually, one of my favorite, I don't know if you can see it. I'm going to show it to you. One of my favorite music yeah. photos that just captured my mind is this beautiful piece of Joni Mitchell oh, uh, by Henry Doltz. That was the one I was already shooting music for a long time when I, I saw that. Um, but I saw it at a gallery in New York that I love. And it blew my mind because I'm such a huge Joni Mitchell fan and I'd never seen that photo. And that's when I just realized like there's this whole archive of things that people don't see and the work you make as a music photographer, it might not be important for 20, 30, 40 years. People might not see it, but that feeling like I was seeing something of her from Laurel Canyon times for the first time made it all super real again. If I could be alive at another time, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the one. And that's the thing is this is, you know, before people are big, those photos don't seem important then. But you never know who's writing the next great song. You never know who's writing their last song. And photos are sometimes the last thing we have, specifically those moments behind the scenes. Hmm. Give me a moment behind the scenes uh, with your camera that really surprised you. Really surprised me. Like, like a photo that you thought nothing of at the moment that you took the snap, but later you're like, wow. Um, I was taking photos. Uh, Richard Coyne was up in Toronto working on a new album. And he just spends a lot of time, goes like full Brian Wilson on himself, sitting in the dark, writing for all this time. <laughs> and uh, I was going to come up and take a couple portraits of him, but it's like, oh, let's go grab lunch. And we were just leaving the studio. And he stopped at the piano and played a quick chord. I, I was like, oh, I see him there. And I took a couple of photos and he stopped a little more and played something out and wrote it down. And then we went and got lunch and we came back and we did portraits. And later I found out that that was, it was either the start or the end of a song that he hadn't finished and he'd been working on for years. And so that photo, I was like, oh, it's just the dude standing at the piano, but it turned out to be a really important moment for him. And I think that photo made it into the liner notes of that album as well. Cool. What's a, another album liner notes uh, that your work appears in that people could check out if they want to check out your work? Uh, Matt Mays's uh, Burnside Sessions is a big one. They worked with an incredible graphic designer, Judd Haynes, and the entire album. I only saw it for the first time, so I still don't have this album. It's been out for a year. <laughs> 
but I was visiting a friend recently in BC who played fiddle for it. She go, oh, have you seen the album? I was like, no. And I opened it and, and the whole spread is all photos because we were together for, you know, eight days in this very special environment making this. So that was really beautiful to see. Um, let me see my record collection. What else am I on here? I don't know. There's, there's some there. Yeah. Well, if you think of anything, we can do some show and tell <laughs> okay. again for sure. Ooh, yeah. We already looked at all your records. Now we have to look at all mine. <laughs> And I have to thank you again for telling me what to do with my hands when I didn't know what to do with my hands and my arms and like... No one knows what to do with their hands. This is me. I mean, this is someone who's just looking for some headshots for, you know, a new website and a new project. But like, how how do you help somebody like high profile shake that same anxiety? So I have a, a side job. I'm a, a yoga teacher by trade. I'm not always teaching, but it's something I practice and I work with. And I think that's been really helpful about remembering the feelings you can have in your body when you're in a tense situation. You'd think I would be more comfortable having my photo taken. I'm not, I'm just as awkward. <laughs> um, so one thing I always do is for some reason, when everyone goes to sit for a photo, they hold their breath. It's the first thing I always tell people oh, to true. do is take a big breath in, take a big breath out. And I think I had Jugmeet do that before you know every photo we had during uh, during the election and the other thing I always tell people to do is if you don't know what to do with your hands adjust things you know I always wear a ring you can play with or you know your collar or your lapels have people giving something to do so you know unbutton your jacket rebutton it you know, take your belt off put it back on <laughs> just something in motion at least that's the way I shoot I really admire people that can do these beautiful still portraits but I always feel it's easier to work with someone when they are moving or talking or having some time to feel like they're interacting with me and not just sitting in front of me. You did an incredible job of making me feel comfortable. And I feel like that is something that takes years and years and years to, to get to, because, you know, especially like, you know, back in the day, like getting to work at your first like concert or music shoot, I can see I can see now how comfortable you are, but maybe in the beginning it wasn't. Did you ever have like a moment that taught you a lesson behind the scenes? Yes. So I was really lucky. Um, I guess that I'm a failed scientist. That's what I went to school for. And uh, <laughs> when I set my lab bunch on fire, was uh, I was not good at it. Um, so when I decided I wanted to pursue photography full time, I figured I can either go back to school, which means getting into debt, not being able to work while I'm in school. Or I figured I can go assist someone for free. And at least then I'm not in the negative financially. And I was really lucky. I was living in Halifax at the time. And I found an incredible mentor, Scott Nunn, who took me under his wing for a couple of years and was a commercial photographer. And you know, I started assisting for free. And then he started paying me. And then he'd start giving me clients when he was too busy. And he was just so beautiful working with people and commercial things. Um, it was never models. It was always business owners and people who weren't used to being in front of the camera. And one of the things he said was important was bringing me along. So when he was there setting up cameras and doing things, my job was to talk to them, to chat, and to watch how he made them comfortable in front of the camera um, and to watch how he valued their time and made them feel um, that they could be themselves. Hmm. Did you find a difference over all these years working with uh, men and women behind the camera? Um, when I moved to Toronto, I moved here to find a bigger mentor. And that's what I did for two years. And I messaged everybody. And to be honest, at the time in commercial photography, there were so few women wow. at a level that they were having shoots that had teams on them. 
Um, and I never found anyone. I never, <laughs> I never, I never found someone that I could build that relationship with. Now, when I, I hire assistants, I make a, a goal to hire women and non-binary people. So I have not worked for a woman. And if anyone's listening, I would really love to. I still assist. I still like to learn from people. If Autumn DeWild is listening, please come and mentor me. I adore you. <laughs> uh, I have a, a suspicion that this name may come up in the nominations at the end of the episode. <laughs> Okay. What about like flipping back to the subject, you know, whoever is the subject of the photos, do you notice a difference between how, you know, men stand in front of the camera? I notice a difference in the way male photographers and female photographers pose people less so in the way subjects pose each other and more so in the way subjects interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, The example, and this isn't true of everyone across the board. I find more so when I watch people in fashion and beauty, the way we talk about bodies can bring up a lot of emotions and a lot of insecurities. And I think the best photos I love are when I don't make someone feel like they're in their body, that they're just here as a person, that they don't have to be aware of their right shoulder and their left elbow. And the example I always think of is I'd hear people like press your chest out. And I think for female identifying people like chest and those words, there's just, there's a lot of emotions and a lot of identity that can be wrapped up in that. And I would be like, can you just lift your heart a little? And it's a very different movement that makes you feel in the entirety of your body. And I remember you saying that to me. And so same thing, rather than, you know, move this here, move that there, just take a deep breath in. And then I'm going to get you to look over here. I'm going to get you to step over here. Um, And just thinking about asking people to move their bodies in a way they would naturally, as opposed to individually moving parts of them. Um, And one of the best pieces of advice I've had from uh, one of my mentors was, to have my photo taken a couple times a year, which I still have a really hard time doing. But it's important for me to remember what it's like to be the subject. And it's mm-hmm. important for me to be photographed by different people so I can remember, that's how I learn. Well, what did this person say that made me feel comfortable? What did this person say that I can kind of work with or, or become a part of? And what made me not feel great? And how would I avoid that with my clients? Mm. So interesting. And and honestly, the reason I probably put off my own headshots uh, was because it's like, ugh, I don't want to, I hate the way I look in photos. Like so many women have that, you know, that little anxiety in the back of their heads. And I, I would say that I'm somebody who's generally very confident. I don't have a lot of that wrapped up in the back of my head, but when you know you're in a photo shoot and it's like isolated time dedicated to taking photos of you, it's like a totally different thing. And I think a lot of that too is this idea that when it comes to a headshot or an editorial is the feeling that there's going to be a photo that represents you. That it's like, well, this is the one and this is who I am to everybody. And so first, like, like, let go of that, get more photos taken. But that's also (laughs) like in a photo shoot, like, no, no, we're going to do some things that are serious and some that are casual and some that are fun. And playlists are so friggin' important. Oh my gosh, people get so much more comfortable with their music. So I'll ask people what they're listening to. Uh, which is how I got really into Black Pumas shooting with you. Still uh, one yeah. of my favorite albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were I remember we were listening to like a takeover they did on uh, on one of our Sirius XM channels. And we were like totally jamming to like some Marvin Gaye and like it just set the the tone for what we were doing that day. And it really helped. I was having my headshot session done and we had this like good upbeat music, but I was so nervous that I was almost vibrating. And it showed, and the photographer I was working with was like, I'm going to change the music a little. And he went into some very easy, chill folk, and everything about me calmed down as well. And I think music has 
I mean, music makes people come alive and there's memories and there's things to talk about. And it's why I love music. And it's very important to photo shoots as well. Like sometimes like 90s R&B is always a good decision. Everyone gets into 90s R&B <laughs> and then you can take it from there. <laughs> so true. Okay. So totally different vibe shooting Jagmeet Singh on the campaign trail. Being on the road with politicians is the same as being on the road with musicians. There's just earlier nights and less beer pretty much because it's the same thing. It's, it's tour photography. It's, it's unposed. It's quick. You don't have control over things. You're in an intimate space with people for a long period of time. Um, I wouldn't have said they were the same until I did them, but I think there's a reason I ended up in both. And it's those things of how quickly can we get comfortable with each other? You know, can we, trust you to do things on the fly you know i we may say great we're gonna have you know half an hour for this shoot and it's gonna be a bright sunny day and then like you have two minutes and it's raining and my job is to deliver on either one of those and that's the same as as working with artists on the road and in concerts (laughs) so interesting to think of it like that it's sarah burke here the host of the women in media podcast and the founder of the women in media network yep now there's an entire network I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. So how, how did you end up on the road with him? Would, I'd love to know that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd done, I don't think, I never have a linear path. I, I was asked to do some photos for the NDP a couple years back, I think for an event. And then I was asked to do a couple more. And then I covered the 2018 Ontario election with Andrea Horvath. Um, I'm going to sidebar for later. If we want to talk about women in politics and photography, that is a very passionate topic for me. We will get right into that when we finish up with uh, Jugmate. Yeah. So I covered the 2018 Ontario. Yeah. I covered the 2018 Ontario election for Andrea Horvath, who's the leader of the Ontario NDP. Um, And it was a, a wonderful team and we had a really great experience. And a lot of those people from the Ontario election had moved up to prepare and run the federal election. So I got a call early spring. It's like, there's an election coming. I said, when? They said, we do not know. Um, and then I said, would, would you want to do this? I was like, are you kidding me? If, of course I would want to do this. Like, this is, I love politics. Like, I think it's an incredibly interesting area and, and getting access to really special stories. So yes, 100%. Like, Pete Souza, that, that's my guy. Like, I, I emailed him. He did not email me back. I was like, <laughs> 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 I'm going to re- reveal the number. Um, yeah, like that would be my dream doing political photography. And so they said, great, like, you know, just uh, we're happy to know you're interested. We'll get back to you. I thought it was pretty much a go. It's like, yeah, you, you know, the team, everyone's ready. And I got a call a couple weeks later. It's like, 
yeah, Jugmeet wants to meet you. And I was like, I would expect that. I had worked with everybody except him. Um, I'm like, yeah, it's just, and I get it. Like I, I told him outright, if I'm going to be on tour, it means I'm going to be with you for five or six weeks in really close quarters. Like you have to like me, you have to get along with me. We have to understand what we're trying to do together. So I went on a two day shoot with him for a couple of events in, in Southern Ontario to see how we vibe together. And talked about reggae we're both vegetarians he also has a failed science degree it was a really good match (laughs) (laughs) he said yeah I I think we can do this I said yeah I I think we can so when they called the election I uh I jumped on a plane to Ottawa that was that and that was that what are some of the most special moments that you had you know the privilege of capturing like in these close quarters uh early on one of the first things we did I felt very privileged as we were invited to go to Cowess's First Nation, which is um, one of the first uh, graves they discovered from residential schools, which is not an area where many people get the opportunity to see. And this story was something everyone was talking about. And being there was, um, being there was, sorry, I'm going to start. Wow. Um, Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Like we were, I was reading and hearing a lot about stories from uh, the residential schools and, but hearing about it and seeing it was very different. Um, seeing how isolated it was, uh, that there would have been nowhere to run, there was no accountability, there was no town nearby, realizing how alone these schools were and how alone these children were was a very heavy thing to see. And I still feel very privileged I got to see it firsthand. Um, and watching the interaction with Jugmeet and the communities and the leaders was very special. They had, um, a very special talk that no one was allowed into all, all the media was locked out. But I know that at the end, uh, Jagmeet gave um, the chief his kirpan that he had received when he became the leader of the NDP, which is a really special gift. And so watching the actual steps of a reconciliation, the actual steps that I think need to happen to build trust between, between government and the indigenous populations was something I wasn't really prepared for and something I felt very privileged to photograph and that they were willing to let us into that space. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Oh man. I can't even imagine. And I have another, I have another less serious one. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, but then there was other, you know, there's fun moments. Um, his wife Gurkiran is, is pregnant. And so having her on tour was wonderful. And she's also a really special and loving um, devoted person. But we had a, a long, long day and we ended up flying into Sioux Lookout, which is very, very northern Ontario. And I was really excited because we were getting a near sunset and I knew that there was a lake there. I really liked the water and I hadn't seen it in a while. And so we, we arrived and we took the bus and we get to the hotel and we unload our bags. Everyone was going in the hotel and I was like, I'm going to go in the water. And I like kicked off my shoes and I was like, yeah, I, I don't want to be like that person. So I was like, no one will see me. I'm just going to go sneakily go into the water. I kicked my shoes and socks off and I ran down to the beach and I ran into the water and I hear, oh, hey, I look over and it's Jugmeet saying also barefoot standing in the water. He's like, just, just had to try it out. <laughs> yeah. So we, we hung out at sunset in this lake and, and had a chat and there's no one else around. And there's no photos, but uh, those special moments that aren't photographed and those moments of humanity in a time that is really intense um, make it really worthwhile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, take me back to uh, working with Andrea Horvath and the Ontario election. The Ontario election was uh, 
the heat of summer was a good one. Um, let me start over again. You said that was 2018, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the Ontario election 2018 um, was the first kind of bigger campaign I'd worked on where we had a, uh, an intimate small team on a bus and you're going around the province. And I realized a while ago I have, I have a background in student politics, which very strongly convinced me I never want to go into real politics. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole game. I don't think I have a thick enough skin for it. But even in student politics, it does mirror the bigger world of politics, which means not as many women. Um, it's a lot of older institutions that we're working to change. And I've noticed something in political photography. I noticed something in political photography. And this is sort of my theory. I don't know if other people jive with it, but I felt like up until recently, at least, that most political photographers are male. And when they photograph a female politician, they're going to photograph them angry or they're going to photograph them sexy. And they didn't seem to know that you could photograph all the ways in between. And when I look at the photos that are selected of female politicians around the world, that tends to be it. If they're you know, young and fit into an attractive demographic, they're sexy. And if they are older, then they must be frowning and they shoot them from underneath and they look very serious. And there's so many other areas between that. There is, there is thoughtful and there is compassionate and there is righteous and there is sad. And there's all of these emotions that exist within all politicians. And I just believe very strongly in starting to show the whole person when we do this. And I started to look at how gender, not just of the subject, but of the photographer was playing into how we view politics in the world and how we view female politicians in the world. I think showing something different in how we photograph politicians, it's twofold. Firstly, it's how you're taking the photograph, but it's also the story that newspapers want to share. And so they're going to choose the photo that that shares that. But as photographers, we have a choice about how diverse the photos are that we submit. And I think in politics, a lot of that is waiting. You know, so if someone's there having a very serious moment and a very serious face and conversation, you can take that photo, but then you wait. And I like to wait for that moment when she... turns to her son I like to wait for that moment when she's having an interaction with one of her staff members maybe she can let down her guard and I think it's watching people when the cameras are off that you get those moments of authenticity in them I'm thinking about Veep right now do you watch Veep at all yes oh my gosh I love Veep that was a pandemic watch for me I watched the entire thing (laughs) wouldn't wouldn't Julia um wouldn't she be an, a hilarious person to photograph behind the scenes if you were actually on that campaign trail? <laughs> and I love, I love Veep so much for the reason that, okay, like we're going to show a, a whole show about a female politician and you think they're going to model it after you know, Hillary Clinton or, you know, and, and she's such a horrible person. And for me, that was just the perfect level. Cause that's the point. Like equity is when we can have equally horrible women as we can equally horrible men running countries. (laughs) Like like you don't have to be perfect. You're going to be a horrible person as well. That's so funny. I want to bring up um, something else like behind the scenes in your line of work too. So, you know, you're kind of contract to contract, you know, I would assume as a, a woman that there's less contracts to go around thinking about the times that you might not have had any work during the pandemic. Like, what do you do between your shoots to keep yourself like relevant? That's a very good question. Um, one thing I've noticed a lot when we talk about women in different roles, and I was thinking about this, I was listening to your interview with Julie from Rogers, and we were talking about um, women in, you know, as you're always doing, talking about women in different avenues and different professions. 
And people get really excited to say like, oh, well, there's so many women in this profession. There's so many women in this profession, but then you have to start looking at the levels up. You know, a good example is, well, there's so many women in nursing. Yeah, but how many of them are in the upper echelons of doing the education part or the administrator part? And I think the same is in photography. There are so many female identified photographers in all of these avenues. But when I look at who is getting bigger contracts, when I look at who has agents, when I look at people that have seniority and long-term jobs, there's very few. Um, and a good example that I learned, so when I was covering the NDP election, we had different media on the bus every every week or two weeks. And it was a you know it's fresh people to talk to, people that shoot as well, great conversations, wonderful people. Um, and all of those jobs are protected. They're long-term jobs, they're union jobs. And most photographers I know are working, like you said, on contract. The few jobs that exist that are safe and long-term are highly male-dominated. Currently, there is not a single photographer for Canadian press who is a woman. They are all men. And those are protected, well-paid jobs. Hmm. And the same is true. I do a lot of film stills. It's a union-protected job. And there's not a lot of women in that union. And so I'm very passionate about educating younger women and non-binary people about the different types of jobs that exist and that there are ones that can have some longevity and some consistency to them. I, I guess part of that initial question was, you know, like how, how would you not be down like during contracts, especially during a pandemic? I do get down. I have, I think my least admirable, admirable trait is that I do a lot of comparison more so than I'd like. And it's a fine line between looking to other people's work for inspiration and starting to get down on yourself because you don't compare the same way. And one thing I've noticed a lot in, in female photographers, I really respect who do great work is they don't wait for people to come to them. It's something I might do a little too much of. There's that old saying, and I think I was told it as well, you know, just make work that's so great. They can't ignore you. And no, absolutely not. That is horrible advice for anyone in the arts. Because it's not true. You can be making the best work in the world and it doesn't mean anyone is coming to you. You have to go to them. So I've been getting more comfortable with the idea of pitching and you're always pitching and always getting turned down. You're applying for grants. Reach out to artists you want to work with. Reach out to agencies you want to work with. Reach out to media you want to work with. And I do notice a gender differentiation in who does that. So during the election, I you know would get interactions from people who like the photos or wanted to talk about it, which is great because there's a lot of travel time in that job. But I had two separate photographers reach out and like, good on them. Really, really like great chutzpah. Like, hey, I'm just wondering, like, I know it's halfway through the election. Do you need an assistant? I would come on. And I was like, that's amazing. I definitely can't do that at this point. It's a pandemic. We can't fit more people on the bus. But like, I like that attitude. But they were both young men. And I noticed that a lot is there is this, it's always worth asking. And I find there's a little more hesitancy with women in that area. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from my friend Jeffrey was very early on, about 10 years ago, as I wanted to work with this artist. And I was like, well, like, you know, I have this pitch and I've been sitting on it. And I'd done the work. I had the pitch. I had the idea. All I had to do was email them. And I think I'd been sitting on it for eight months. And he said, well, if you email them, the worst thing they can say is no. And then your only job is to make them say yes. And that idea that putting yourself out there is not a weakness. It's not a desperation. It is very normal in this job and contract work. And you have to always be thinking about and not putting yourself out anywhere. You know, who do you want to work with? What types of projects do you want to take? And are you showing them your work? You're not asking for favors. You're doing them a favor. This is the quality of my work and I want to do it for you. Whether it's an agency or an individual, 
that's one thing off their plate. Like I need photos. Like, Hey, uh, my work is similar to what you do. I think we'd vibe. Well, here's what I'd like to do for you. Great. Now they don't have to go hunting for someone and come up with that. Mm-hmm. So I think firstly is that between contracts, I do get down. The pandemic was very rough um, because we don't know where our next paycheck is coming from. It's a whole other conversation about having a rainy day account. Every contractor needs to do it. But then there's also this fine line with you want to be pitching and putting yourself out there and making those connections, but you also need to make sure you're scheduling and charging appropriately that you can take downtime, that you have to remember to give yourself weekends, even if they're not on Saturdays and Sundays. And then there's time in between contracts. That's not necessarily because you're not wanted or not valued. It's maybe because you're also valuing your life. Mm-hmm. I think all of what you just said applies to so much more than just photography as well, right? Anyone, anyone doing contract work, which is becoming more ubiquitous in every single area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, just like word of mouth is so important for photography. I think, uh, you know, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've been like, oh my God, you should speak to Lindsay Duncan. She's amazing. <laughs> but now it's your turn to sort of give me some recommendations for people you would love to hear more about on this podcast. Uh, do you want just Canadian? No, anyone. Okay. Okay. First one. Uh, I don't know her, but I love her. Is uh, Vanessa Kraft. She was the editor in chief at L, and then she made the jump and is now one of the big heads at TikTok. Um, I think she, what she did is incredible. I really am fascinated with people who can see the future areas of media because that's not always me. Um, and I've heard interviews with her as well. And I'm just very, I love people that believe in doing good while working hard. Um, second one, Laura Simpson. Uh, Laura has been in the music industry for more than 20 years, I think, in Canada. Uh, she'd originally worked for Music Nova Scotia. She's done tour managing. I think she did some journalism. And now she is the founder of Side Door Access with Dan Mangan. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they had huge venture capitalist fundraising. She is an incredibly kind person who is very passionate about Canadian music. And just Laura instills for me this idea of being able to like go after, like be the boss, do these insane things, but in a very calm and kind manner, which isn't always something we see a lot of. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many. Okay. I'm going to give two. Can I give two more? Yes. Go for it. It's okay. <laughs> uh, one of them who I think you would love is Kristen Meinzer. She is a podcast host of, I think like half a dozen podcasts at this point and wrote a book. So you want to start a podcast. She's a lovely woman and she's also a big advocate for women of color in the space. Um, she is one of the only women of color who is a royal watcher and she speaks a lot about the royals. And so her knowledge of podcasts and women of color and media is incredible. And then the last one, if you manage to get this person, I need to sit in quietly on the sideline. So number one, woman in media, I would love to have you interview and I would love to meet is Lindsay Adario. Um, who's a photojournalist who's worked for the New York Times, National Geographic. I spent most of the election on the plane reading her book. Um, And she's a huge influence because she is in an area of photography where there are not many women. And there was, I remember when I was, you know, on the plane covering the election and I cracked the book and I just started crying within a couple pages. And it's because there's still this idea of hardness that has to happen to achieve in things. And, you know, you have to give this up and you have to do that. And the ball so well. And she had a passage that spoke so much to me that said, I have faith as I've always had that if I work hard enough, care enough and love enough in all areas of my life, I can create and enjoy a full life. 
I think that's so important in the arts is this feeling like if you give it all to your work, you can't have a full life. And the idea of, of treating your subjects with dignity is something she talks about. And she's just incredible. And I love her. I love the note that you were ending this on. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for agreeing to come on this podcast. I know you were like, what? Oh, me? Oh, but <laughs> there's a reason why in the one photo shoot day we did together, I was like, why have we not hung out yet? Yes. I think there's this thing about, I think there's a perfection aspect of being interviewed and whatnot. We're like, I love to talk about my work. I'd love to talk about women in work. I love to talk about women in all aspects of work. And yet I'm so reticent to like give interviews or be interviewed because I think there's that feeling of, well, I won't do it perfect or, or whatnot. And we kind of have to let go of that because these conversations are so enlivening and so like inspiring. Like I listen to women in media when I'm cleaning the house, when I'm having doubts about what I'm doing, listening to other people's experiences can make you feel so much less alone, especially after the last crazy two years. And honestly, you were one of the the first people to even know I was working on this podcast. So I, I know. Thank you for being on the journey. <laughs> and you did it. And that's also a big thing though, is like, I feel like I'm someone who I have all these projects on the side that I don't talk about and don't do. And they're all on the shelf. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to do a podcast. And, like, and you did it. And you've done it consistently at an incredibly high caliber. And you're like, <laughs> you just, you just do things. Whereas I sometimes just like think about them. I did a lot of talking about doing it before doing it. If it makes you feel any better. <laughs> How how long though? How long were you talking about doing it before you did it? Like I would say like May 2020 to like when I launched in March. Fuck you, that's not the same. I've had a finished project <laughs> for four years that has not seen the light of day. Well, we're gonna get together over a coffee and plan your life. It'll be fine. <laughs> yes. we're gonna have coffee we're gonna plan your whole life everything's gonna be okay (laughs) well you brought up some really interesting uh perspectives from behind the camera lens today so thank you so much for coming on the podcast and i look forward to seeing you and your pup in person soon oh same to you let's hit some shows soon they're coming back are you shooting anything coming up I keep forgetting that shows are happening and that I have to pitch them again. So that's another part I need to like get back into is going to shows and shooting shows. And now it's really happening. I need to, uh, I really want to shoot the Arkells tour. They're such good stage people. I think they have many wonderful photographers, but uh, I always love to shoot them. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll make sure that in episode notes, there are some links where people can check out your work and uh, watch for her at concerts because she's always there with her camera. Thank you for having me. So you have to check out Lindsay's beautiful work. I've got her website link in the episode notes as promised. And believe me when I say, if you need new headshots, she's the absolute best. And if you're looking for some shots of you in a more casual environment, which for me was combing through my record collection, she will find a way to best represent you in your natural habitat, even if it means telling you to spark one up so you can stop being such a square. True story. By the way, speaking of shows and the return of live music, my next guest is literally the heartbeat of live music in Canada. And she's had a hell of a year advocating to get our favorite bands back on stage. You won't want to miss my conversation with Aaron Benjamin, the president and CEO of the Canadian Live Music Association. Until then, thanks so much for listening and check out Lindsay's links. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators. 
but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.